Michelle Donnelly, and this is the Christian Single Moms Podcast. I believe that every single mom can discover a life of peace, power, and purpose, and that you can do it right through the things that God is carrying you through in your season as a single mom. Here we talk about all of the things that matter to a single mom, but most of all, I hope you found a place where you feel like you belong. Let's get started. Friend, I am so glad that you could join me for this episode today. I'm your host, Michelle Donnelly. So we're on a little bit of a spring break right now. Actually, we are regrouping and recuperating and getting ready for the next season of episodes. But in the interim, I had a few a few things that I just could not leave untouched. And so we decided, hey, let's do a handful of mini-sodes and really start to digest and unpack some of the topics that keep coming up over and over and over again when it comes to emails I'm receiving, messages in Beloved Collective, uh, conversations y'all are having on social media, all those types of things, and give some opportunity for us to start to talk about some things that maybe even are more uncomfortable than some of the things that we've talked about here on the podcast before. So today, I just decided I'm going to go straight for it, and we are going to talk about the question, does God hate divorce? Something exciting is in the works, and we are adding a new segment to the Christian Single Moms podcast in which we'd like to feature you. On our website, you can record a question that you'd like to have answered or share something that God has been teaching you in this season. Submissions can be anonymous and may be played right here on the Christian Single Moms podcast. For more details, check out the link down in the show notes. Something I've learned in my season as a single mom is that loneliness actually does not have that much to do with being alone. Hurt from our relationships in the past causes us stress around relationships in the present, and the ways that we have learned to deal with that stress can help us to feel safe, but actually keep us away from the meaningful relationships that we desire. To start to unravel this, to identify your stress style and discover the pathway to healing, you can take our quiz called What's Your Stress Style? And you'll find a link for that down in the show notes. All right, so the question, does God hate divorce? This is something I had to wrestle hard with at the time that I was getting divorced, and that was back in 2018. And one of the reasons this was so difficult for me is that I grew up with a very legalistic understanding of God. And while God had been working prior to this point to help me get rid of that and to see Him as He truly was, I was so terrified that I would make a choice that would absolutely just disappoint God. So I set off on a journey of about a year of reading the Bible cover to cover because I wanted to know God's heart in this new season, God's heart for me, God's heart for the broken, God's heart for the divorced. And as I began to read scripture, I was surprised, and I'll say pleasantly surprised, that the God that I imagined that I was serving was very different than the God that I found in the pages of the Bible and in that season of my life. So of course, the first place that I want to start is with the verse in question, and that is Malachi 2.16. That often is referred to as the God hates divorce verse. 
And I think it's important for us to start here because this verse is very often taken out of context and weaponized against people who find themselves in really vulnerable and desperate situations. And that was certainly the case for myself. So what I'd like to do, though, is actually look at Malachi chapter 2. And we have to always, when we're analyzing scripture, look at a verse, not only in its own context, so the verses that come before it and come after it, but then also in the totality of scripture. And so what we want to do is look at this, find out what it's really teaching us, and then also look at where this subject is referred to in other parts of the Bible to get a full picture of what Scripture is teaching us. So if we look at Malachi chapter 2, there are a couple of things that are actually going on before this verse even happens. And if we look at verses 11 through 12, there's a discussion here about Judah breaking faith. And that's really important. Hold on to that, breaking faith. It's going to kind of be a thread that runs through this whole thing. But it talks about Judah breaking faith in that she has desecrated the sanctuary the Lord loves by marrying the daughter of a foreign god. So right off the bat, what's happening here is there's a discussion of faithlessness on behalf of Judah for the people of God taking foreign wives. And this was something that was explicitly forbidden in the Old Testament. And the reason was that these foreign wives were worshiping other gods. And not only just worshiping other gods, but performing abominations, I mean, really wicked things in the practices of worshiping their foreign gods. And the reason that marrying then these foreign wives was prohibited was because they were going to lure the people of God away from Yahweh. And so the first thing that's being referenced here is breaking faith with God by these improper marriages. Then the next thing that happens is a discussion about perhaps marriages that were in between two people who were of the family of God, uh, but where men are starting to complain that their prayers are not being answered. And we'll pick up in verse 14. It says, you ask why? It is because the Lord is acting as the witness between you and the wife of your youth, because you have broken faith with her, though she is your partner, the wife of your marriage covenant. Has not the Lord made them one? In flesh and spirit they are his. And why one? Because he was seeking godly offspring. So guard yourself in your spirit and do not break faith with the wife of your youth. So here comes verse 16. I hate divorce, says the Lord God of Israel, and I hate a man's covering himself with violence as well as with his garment, says the Lord Almighty. So guard yourself in your spirit and do not break faith. So when we look at this verse and what it is talking about, it is talking about one who has taken a wife of his youth and is now discarding her. That after they have spent time together, they have a life together, kids together, she's financially dependent, that he is discarding her. There's this practice of men discarding their wives to take another one and being faithless in doing that. And that's that word. Again, it comes up a couple of times in this. Don't break faith. Don't be faithless. And so that is what's surrounding this discussion is faithlessness to the covenant, to the wife 
of your youth. She has been faithful to you. She has served you. She has honored you with her life. And she is extremely vulnerable in this context. In this society, women were not treated well, and they didn't have their own wherewithal. Very often, they were like property, or there were arranged marriages, these kinds of things. And so for one to sort of use up the wife of his youth, discard her, and then take another, that's where the Bible is describing this as violence, that the person who does this is covering themselves in violence. So what this passage is really teaching us is about faithlessness more than it's even really teaching about divorce, especially when we consider the comments prior about faithlessness to God in an illicit marriage. But to put another wrinkle in this, not every single Bible actually translates Malachi 2.16 as God hates divorce. So I've been reading to you from the NIV. I'm going to switch over to the ESV and read this very same verse to you. And it says, For the man who does not love his wife but divorces her, says the Lord, the God of Israel, covers his garment with violence, says the Lord of hosts. So guard yourselves in your spirit and do not be faithless. In listening back to that, nowhere does that say, I hate divorce. What it says in this translation is that the man who does not love his wife but divorces her. So essentially that the hating is coming at the hands of the one who is doing the divorcing. Obviously, either translation, the whole message does not fall apart. The warning at the end is do not be faithless. So this is pointing to instances of divorce where faithlessness is occurring that there is an unrighteous practice of divorce that is happening. But if we look at the totality of Scripture, as I mentioned before, that's not the end of the story. So as I was studying this, I thought, okay, so this is talking about unrighteous divorces. Maybe the Scripture doesn't really say what we have been told that it says. And I wanted to find all of the places where divorce is referenced in the Word. And so next that brought me into the Sermon on the Mount, Jesus' teachings in Matthew 5. Now, I am actually not going to start at Jesus' teachings on divorce. I'm going to go back just a few verses right before it where he's teaching about lust and sexual immorality. So what he says in verse 27 and 28 is, You have heard that it was said, You shall not commit adultery. But I say to you that everyone who looks at a woman with lustful intent has already committed adultery with her in his heart. Okay, so we're going to kind of put like a little pin in this one. <laughs> I'm going to move on. But before I do, the one thing I do want to say about this particular verse is that Jesus is making the clear distinction to the hearers that adultery is not only a physical act with another person, that there is a heart positioning within yourself, um, a gratifying lust that is really what God considers adultery. So all kinds of things do fall in this bucket. When we're talking about pornography usage, we're talking about voyeurism, we're talking about emotional affairs, all kinds of things that maybe people feel like, oh, this is maybe like a gray area. Jesus is so clear that what I am pointing to is what's in your heart. So knowing that this is the setup then for his comments on divorce, I'll continue with verses 31 and 32. He continues on and says, It was also said, whoever divorces his wife, let him give her a certificate of divorce. But I say to you that everyone who divorces his wife, except on the ground of sexual immorality, makes her commit adultery. And whoever marries a divorced woman commits adultery. 
So the first thing I want to point out here is the fact that Jesus does say there are grounds for divorce. So where there has been confusion about that, this very clearly does say that there are grounds for divorce. But the next thing that Jesus points out is the fact that by divorcing someone wrongly, you are actually forcing that other person to commit adultery. Now, it's not necessarily the act of divorce itself, but as we talked about, women in this culture are vulnerable. So if you, a man, are going to divorce a woman, now she has kids, she's financially dependent, she is already extremely vulnerable in this cultural context, she's going to have to be married again. If she had truly committed adultery, she'd be dead. They would stone her and the story would be over. But because she hasn't done anything wrong, now you have marked her as undesirable in some way. And her options are going to be extremely limited beyond what they were already. So Jesus is saying, you may be kind of thinking that you're getting away with a gray area here, but you're still committing adultery. That this lust that has drawn you to looking at another person and now discarding this faithful wife is adultery no matter how you slice it. And if she has to remarry, her adultery is actually on your head. So... This whole discussion about faithlessness is to point out the fact that there are great ripple effects in this, but that also in context where that faithlessness has already presented itself, where there has been a sexual immorality that has occurred, that the divorce is permitted. And why that's important to understand and these contexts between faithlessness and unfaithlessness and righteous divorce and unrighteous divorce is because these rules were all set up to protect the vulnerable. If a divorce was permitted, it was because this person had been vulnerably exposed in the case of a faithlessness already occurring. So it was a mercy to allow for divorce in those situations. But then where divorce was prohibited, it was to protect somebody from becoming vulnerable. And in this case, specifically women from becoming vulnerable at the hands of a person who would enact their faithlessness. They think basically, I'm getting off scot-free because I'm not committing adultery because we're not married anymore. I got divorced first. Everything is cool. And Jesus is saying, it's still adultery. All of this is to allow for protection in a situation where someone could be extremely harmed where a divorce would take place. Jesus has somewhat of a parallel discussion about this later in the book of Matthew in chapter 19. He is confronted by some Pharisees, and the Pharisees ask him a super pointed question. And this is another place where understanding the cultural context of the day has huge implications for the way that we understand what Jesus was teaching. There are three words every abuse survivor must hear. God hates abuse. Plus One Parents has released a devotional for abuse survivors called Safe Haven, a devotional for the abused and abandoned. Safe Haven is a biblically-based guide to abuse, giving you the tools that you need to identify it, respond to it, and heal from it. Safe Haven is now available in paperback, ebook, and audiobook formats, and you can locate a link to purchase your copy down in the show notes. So if we look at chapter 19, verse 3, it says, And the Pharisees came up to him and tested him by asking, Is it lawful to divorce one's wife for any cause? It's very specific language. 
Jesus answers the question down in verse 9 by saying, And I say to you, whoever divorces his wife except for sexual immorality and marries another commits adultery. Now, the cultural context of the time is super important here because the Pharisees are actually asking Jesus to make a ruling amongst themselves. There was disagreement amongst the Pharisees as to what the grounds for divorce were. And the confusion stems from Deuteronomy 24.1, which says that a divorce can be allowed if a man finds some indecency, quote unquote. He finds some indecency in her. So by asking Jesus for any cause, they are pointing to this line of some indecency and asking, what does this mean? Because there were two schools of rabbinic thought at the time that disagreed about the interpretation of that specific phrase. So on the one hand, those who were following the teachings of Hillel believed that some indecency meant anything I don't like about her. So if she is a terrible cook, I can get rid of her. Where on the other hand, you had the rabbinic teaching of Shammai, and the Pharisees that followed Shammai believed that no, some indecency just means sexual immorality. And so what Jesus is doing here is he is making a ruling specifically about this controversy. And he is saying, no, it's not for any reason at all that you could divorce this person. It is for this sexual immorality. It is for this faithlessness that has transpired already. So this is what is critical here is the understanding that divorce is not always the faithlessness. In instances where there has been a breakage of the covenant, the faithlessness has already transpired, and the divorce is just an indication that that sin exists. Now, I want you to hold on to this discussion about the for any cause divorce comment, because in a future minisode, I'm going to be talking about questions around other grounds for divorce, and so we will get back into this discussion in the next episode. One other point that I want to make before we continue on is the fact that this is not the only thing in Scripture where we see that there is a righteous or an unrighteous application. So when we think about killing, for example, the Bible absolutely prohibits murder. But there are times in Scripture where even God commanded His people to kill the opposing armies. And so there are righteous and unrighteous applications of killing in the Bible. So we have to understand that there is nuance and that where there is confusion, the Bible can bring us clarity. Now, when it comes to this concept of unrighteous divorce, righteous divorce, we should be able to see it then in the Bible, and we do. So if we look at the book of Ezra, when it comes to a righteous application of divorce, what we see in this context is that Israel had been exiled and had returned to the land, rebuilt the temple, were rededicating their lives to God, and then discover that in the law, they were prohibited from marrying foreign wives, and they did anyway. And that by transgressing their covenant, they are now terrified that they're going to be cut off as God's people. And so in their grief, Ezra prays and makes confession on behalf of the people and Shechaniah comes to Ezra and says in chapter 10, verse 2, we have broken faith with our God and have married foreign women from the peoples of the land. But even now there is hope for Israel in spite of this. 
In verse 3, he says, Therefore, let us make a covenant with our God to put away all these wives and their children according to the counsel of my Lord and of those who tremble at the commandment of our God, and let it be done according to the law. So what we see here in the words of Shechaniah is the fact that there are competing allegiances, that this vow that they've made to this foreign wife is in opposition to the covenant that they have with God. And by the counsel of God and in following and in accordance with the law, they don't have any other choice but to put away these wives and children. Now, this has a different application in the New Testament, and we will talk about this in the next chapter, in the next mini-sode. But the thing that is important here, remember, is that the reason that these things were prohibited is because, number one, these women were following foreign gods, and they were performing abominations. We're talking about child sacrifice-type abominations in worship to these foreign gods, and that it was drawing the people of Israel away. And so again, this is a place though when there's a competing allegiance, allegiance to God or allegiance to this marriage, that the allegiance to God takes precedence and that this is a righteous application of divorce. Lastly, there is one application of righteous divorce in the Bible that is absolutely stunning, but gives us so great an understanding of God's heart when it comes to divorce. And this divorce actually involves God himself. I know you've probably been told before that God hates divorce, but you've probably never been told that God is divorced. When we look at the book of Jeremiah, there's a discussion here about the faithlessness of God's people, that God's people have been pursuing foreign gods. And in this time in scripture, God's people are split, that the kingdom of Israel is actually now two kingdoms. There's the kingdom of Israel and the kingdom of Judah. And so the discussion here is going on between the faithlessness of these two groups of God's people. If we look at the book of Jeremiah, chapter 3, starting in verse 6, it says, The Lord said to me in the days of King Josiah, Have you seen what she did, that faithless one Israel? how she went up on every high hill and under every green tree, and there played the whore. And I thought, after she has done all this, she will return to me. But she did not return. And her treacherous sister Judah saw it. She saw that for all the adulteries of that faithless one Israel, I had sent her away with a decree of divorce. Yet her treacherous sister Judah did not fear, but she too went and played the whore. Because she took her whoredom lightly, she polluted the land, committing adultery with stone and tree. Yet for all this, her treacherous sister Judah did not return to me with her whole heart, but in pretense, declares the Lord. The first point I want to make here in regard to the scripture is the fact that God says, I gave her a decree of divorce and sent her away. God is using divorce language. God cannot sin. So if divorce is a sin, it does not make sense for God to say he's done it. So in this case, we understand, again, that role of faithlessness and that divorce itself is not always the faithlessness. It's the indication that a faithlessness has already transpired on the part of the other party. This divorce is a consequence. And this is something else we have to understand about covenant making in the Jewish world, that when one person would break the covenant, the covenant is 
gone. It is not for the other person then to have to uphold it. The covenant does not exist. It is dead. Something we also see, though, here is the fact that by this divorce being instituted, God is actually making a call to repentance. That in our human relationships, it's not always possible for a reconciliation to occur in a divorce, but that that is truly the heart behind this being allowed. That if this person who has been faithless is then divorced, that that can serve as a wake-up call. And that's how God is using it in the context here with Israel. Sometimes, though, this works out imperfectly in our humanity. And sometimes the divorce, as I said before, is meant to protect the vulnerable in an instance where you have a person who's completely unrepentant. And in the space of time where this consequence is enacted, we're able to determine whether or not this consequence is going to turn that person towards repentance or if they're going to continue in their unrepentance. And this point of repentance is so important because you cannot have reconciliation without repentance. There cannot be a restoration of relationship without there first being acknowledgement that something was wrong. And in the case of divorce, what we're each being turned to, again, whether your divorce, if this is you, was righteous or unrighteous on your part of it, the repentance is to God. The reconciliation is first to God. It is first to say, I am looking at you. I want to see this circumstance the way you see it. And I want to turn my sights towards you. So when we're looking at divorce, it's less about a repentance between these two people and more about a turning to God. In that turning to God, that restoration of relationship transpires first. Whatever reconciliation or restoration that would occur after a divorce flows from a restored relationship with God. And that needs to take place whether or not the faithlessness was on your part or the other person's. All of us are imperfect. All of us very often in marriages, especially in our culture, end up putting our marriages above our relationships with God. We believe even sometimes that by doing the things we're doing in a marriage that we're serving God. But if we really knew his word and what his desire for us was, that we probably would do things a little bit differently. And in having our relationship restored with God, we have the ability to see then where our role is in the future in relationship to this other person. So is there supposed to be a reconciliation? Did they reconcile to God? Did they repent? You know, this passage is really important in Jeremiah because it says that Judah did not return to me with her whole heart, but in pretense. So sometimes in divorces, we're going to see where a person's going to turn to God, but in pretense, or they'll turn back to us, but in pretense, meaning there's no real repentance or remorse. There's no actionable long-term change that happens here. And in that case, we are not to pursue anything further there. All in all, the divorce is designed to return our lives back to God, to bring our allegiance back to God. God is our first love, and He's the one who says to us, I am always faithful. He is the one who says that in Christ there's no condemnation. So for whatever mistakes you've made, for whatever side of this equation you find yourself on, he's saying, I'm still here and I am drawing you back to me. You are my beloved. And this is why it hurts my heart 
when I hear God hates divorce tossed around just so indiscriminately because there is so much shame that gets heaped on people when that's the posture that's taken. And it causes us to run from God. I had to wade through all of this shame myself. And when I was able to, though, see in the Word the truth about what God says about these things, I was able to let that shame just fall off me and just allow Him to do His work and just say, whatever it is you think about my circumstance, I'm giving my life back to you. And in that, He's brought just complete healing and restoration of things that I never even knew were bringing me down, of things that were tormenting me, things from even before I ever got married. So God not only repaired the damage that I had endured in my marriage, but everything that had come prior to that that I didn't even know was there. I just wish in our churches that if a divorce has transpired, that there would be less conversation about whether or not God hates it and so much more of a focus on what He can still do in it. I truly hope that something you heard in this episode just inspired a new understanding of who God is and His heart for the divorced. If you enjoyed the content of this episode, you may also want to check out episode 58, Jesus and Women, Restoring Honor. We'd love to invite you to get involved with the Plus One Parents community. You can join us on Facebook or Instagram at plusone.parents. And on Facebook, you can join our private Facebook group, Beloved Collective. Also, at plusoneparents.org, we are constantly adding new resources related to all of the topics that we cover here on the Christian Single Moms podcast. That's everything from parenting to dating to spiritual and emotional well-being. If you'd like to stay up to date on the new resources as we release them, you can join our mailing list there as well at plusoneparents.org. I'm so grateful that you're a part of this community and that you were able to join me for this episode today. I pray always that you would know that you are seen and you are beloved.